Welcome back to Across the Movie Aisle, presented by Bulwark Plus. I am your host, Sonny Bunch, culture editor of The Bulwark. I'm joined, as always, by Alyssa Rosenberg of The Washington Post and Peter Suderman of Reason Magazine. Alyssa, Peter, how are you today? Resentful that you've torn me away from the beach, Sonny. I'm I'm happy to be talking about movies with friends and glad that Alyssa tore herself away from the beach. It was the her beach choice. The beach is terrible, so I have saved you from the beach. You're welcome. Uh, first up in controversies and controversies, Johnny Depp. He's back, kind of. Uh, the San Sebastian Film Festival has decided to give him a Lifetime Achievement Award. A daring move, sure to court controversy. On the one hand, yes, this is an obvious plea for attention on behalf of the film festival. On the other hand, hey, got to talk about something. So attention granted, San Sebastian Film Film Festival. Um, let's set aside the big question, namely, how can they award this person who has been accused of assaulting his then wife uh, and skirt the smaller version of that question, which is trickier and about reconciling the competing narratives in the Depp Heard case. Uh, and instead, ask a far more basic question. Does Depp deserve to, reserve, to receive this kind of award at all for his body of work? Look, on, on the one hand, yes, he was arguably the biggest movie star in the world for a solid decade. Uh, this was a guy who muscled Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland movie to a billion dollars at the box office. And I don't know if you've seen that recently, but oh boy, not good. Uh, the guy had clout, is the point. And he's undoubtedly been in some interesting smaller movies that have required him to flex his acting muscles, work like Donnie Brasco or Ed Wood. I'm not saying he's not interesting occasionally, or that he hasn't done some stuff that I've loved. Um, but taken as a whole, uh, his body of work is more misses than hits. For every Ed Wood, there's a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory uh, or a The Tourist. And for every Donnie Brasco, there are four Pirates of the Caribbean sequels. Um, Alyssa, does he deserve this award on the professional merits? Or am I the one engaging in controversial behavior here by trying to elide the quicksand of the artist versus the his work debate entirely? What Am I, am no, I the I monster? No, I think this is an entirely reasonable question. I actually went back to Depp's filmography to see what the last original movie he had made as it not part of a franchise that I thought was genuinely quite good. And I had to go back to 2009 for Public Enemies. I also really liked his performance in um, the adaptation of Sweeney Todd from two years prior. But again, that's an adaptation. Um, you know, Depp has made things that seemed like ridiculous ideas compelling, right? I mean, the the original Pirates of the Caribbean movie is a really fun blockbuster that, again, should not work at all. It's based on a Disney ride. It's much more interesting um, and sort of well cast and acted than it deserves to be on any level. But yeah, I mean, mostly he appears in a lot of dreck for which he makes a lot of money so he can spend insane amounts of money on wine like he wine wine and islands look wine and, if wine I, and islands right i mean at least if you're going to spend your money on insane things like be nicholas cage and have them be genuinely interesting and weird things like pyramid tombs yeah exactly like spend money on pyramid tombs or whatever I don't know. Um, a copy of action comics number one i don't know if i had if i had wine and islands money i would probably buy more wine and islands than pyramid tombs i don't know but i mean this is i think this is i think this is the actual interesting question yeah. here because i i'm i am kind of tired of arguing about bad people and whether they deserve awards or not yeah uh, the, the the question is is this anything other than like an obvious attention grab it doesn't aimed at somebody seem like it right i mean he has a movie out in which he plays like a photographer exposing environmental injustice in Japan that as far as I understand is like barely getting a release at all because he's too controversial to actually promote it. Um, when God knows if it's any good, but yeah, this is, I mean, 
if you were even going to give Depp a significant acting award, the you know, the time to do it might have been sort of 2007, 2009, when he had made the Pirates, of the, the original sort of Pirates of the Caribbean trilogy made that possible, but also had some interesting stuff in the works like the Sweeney Todd adaptation, like Public Enemies. He just hasn't been in anything interesting for more than a decade. It's just incredibly, it's a dull filmography. And it seems just like such an obvious troll on behalf of the film festival that I feel a little silly that we're discussing it at all. But like you said, we have to talk about something. It's the depths of summer. We're all very tired. Summer. We got a lot of Suicide Squad stuff to talk about, and we'll get to that in a minute. But Peter, what, what's your what's your take on this? Is is Johnny Depp a wor- uh, worthy of even this minor uh, lifetime achievement award? If you had to pick, if you had to name like thirty people off the top of your head, would Johnny Depp? be in that list of people. So I think it's very obviously a troll, just given that last year this exact same film festival opened with the latest Woody Allen film, Rifkin's Festival, which honestly, I would I, I don't feel like until I read this coverage today, I had even heard of that movie. But it was yet another attempt to get attention by... Uh, foregrounding someone who is controversial for things that they do outside of their work, who can maybe, maybe, be defended on artistic grounds. Um, and this seems like all that that's really happening here, at least in terms of this choice. But I also think your question about whether he deserves this award uh, takes the idea that these awards are actually given to people for the work they do at face value. And that's really the wrong way to think about them. How dare you? Yes, How yes, dare you, that's, that's what they how promote. How dare you denigrate the San Sebastian Film <laughs> Festival but this is and their true. prestigious Lifetime Achievement Award. This is award. true of Lifetime Achievement Awards across industries, right? It's true of the, the big awards in, even in the Oscars, where and there's probably some more, uh, you know, focus on merit there. But even still, the for a lot of these things, especially the smaller festivals, the smaller organizations that give out awards like this, the goal is not to deliver an award to someone because they objectively deserve it. The goal is to deliver an award to someone whose presence will get attention for your organization and your event. And on that, like, if that's if that's what the award is trying to do, then you know what? In the middle of August, uh, when people don't have a whole lot else to talk about, boy, that's a recurring theme here, um, then maybe it'll work. And Johnny Depp is still an an object of interest to a lot of people. He is someone whose filmography, I totally agree with Alyssa, it hasn't been interesting in at least a decade. Um, I think he is somewhat overrated as an actor, but he also has advanced, you know, some. he's made some projects work uh, that, that probably shouldn't, you know, on paper. Uh, but he's mostly just sort of a bag of odd tricks. He is Nicolas Cage without the without the thoughtfulness in a lot of ways, right? So if you look at Nicolas Cage explaining how he does what he does, uh, it's really interesting to see how much of what he does is pegged to film history. And Depp is just out there doing weird ticks because they keep your attention. They do. Um, and sometimes it, it works well enough to build a billion-dollar franchise. I don't think, though, that any of that really has much to do with this award. 
This is just about getting people's attention, seeing if you can get Variety and Deadline and Hollywood Reporter and whoever else to, to write up something about the controversy and get people to discuss it can. for a week. Which you can. Here we are. We're discussing it. Um, and, you know, in a, in, an, in a year and a season when film festivals and the business of theatrical production is just really struggling, not, not maybe quite as much as it did last summer, but really, really struggling, and and people are just looking for any way to get attention. I would say that this is effective in in trying to in getting people's attention, whether or not uh, whether or not it's actually a a good way to go about the awards process. Um, so basically, if I, you take the most cynical view, this is this is effective. Uh, if you of take a slightly less it's cynical a, view, then well, I mean, it's look, sort of awful. But like, of, I, I think the most cynical way of approaching this is the right one in this case. Well, I, of course, it's effective, which is why I want to I want to like really uh, dig down into the the question of his his acting because I don't think I don't think it's worth arguing about whether or not it's a controversy for him to be invited. Obviously, it's a controversy. It's designed to be a controversy. This is like the whole point is to to get uh, you know people like us talking about it. And again, mission accomplished. Um, I I would rather I again I would rather focus on the, the question of whether or not he. He he deserves any awards yeah. for his his lifetime body of work. I mean, I, I, he was a crucial part of a Nightmare on Elm Street. It's true. Good movie. Well, it's actually not that good. I watched it recently. It's middling. Yeah, at best, I, mean, all I those. find Depp occasionally quite good and overwhelmingly just tiresome. Um, I don't find him that interesting to watch on screen. I find the sort of like freneticness, the kind of desperation to be noticed of what Peter described as sort of the collection of ticks as sort of more distracting than interesting. Um, he would probably and not think, be on my list. And I, I also think that his, his collaborations with Tim Burton, which get a lot of the attention here, uh, Tim Burton has a tendency to really hype those up. Yeah. I mean, like with the, the Charlie and the chocolate factory, uh, and and Alice in Wonderland in particular, there was a there was a clip that was making the rounds of the end of that movie, which features uh, Johnny Depp as the Mad Hatter doing a silly dance. He's doing a silly break dance. Yeah. That's how the movie closes. I had forgotten about that, and boy, brought back a lot of memories. Um, happy memories? Do, Were they happy memories, Sonny? Good memories, mostly happy memories. I do like. I mean, I liked. I liked him in Black Mass. Uh, I thought that was, you know, not not terrible. Uh, he is good at Donnie Brasco, right? He he's is good, good in, in Ed Wood. Uh, he is act very good in Edward Scissorhands. Um, ah, I see. That's more a collection of ticks. No, I, I think the early the early partnerships with Tim Burton actually worked pretty well. It's the stuff that comes out pretty much everything after Sleepy Hollow is a disaster. Sleepy Hollow is good, but again, that's like he's playing more of a straight man in that one. Yeah. Then anyway, uh, okay. So what do we think? Is it a uh, is it a controversy or a controversy that Johnny Depp has been given this award for his work, not for anything else surrounding it? Alyssa, it's controversial, but we're the real problem. It's true, uh, Peter. Yeah, I think it's a controversy that we're talking about this. It is. It is a controversy because <laughs> he's not that good at that at acting, so he shouldn't shouldn't be getting awards. I'm taking this at face value. Uh, Why would you film do festival. that? Film, how dare you not invite... San, if the San Sebastian Film Festival invites me to the next San Sebastian Film Festival to judge their <laughs> Lifetime Achievement Award, this will all have been worth it. That's that's why we do it, folks. That's why the critics do it. Uh, okay, if you For enjoy the this swag. show... 
If you enjoy this show, and who doesn't, it's usually pretty good. I'm not going <laughs> to comment on the last one. Uh, make sure to head over to atma.thebulwark.com, where we'll have a bonus members-only episode about spoilers, spoiler warnings, uh, and what does not qualify as a spoiler, uh, if you're a critic or if you're a consumer of criticism. Speaking of spoilers, we're on to the main event. James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, which is a separate movie from David Ayer's 2016 film Suicide Squad, uh, though both are derived from the comic book series titled Suicide Squad. I get that. It's not confusing at all. We're, we're good to go. Um, there will be spoilers, so just as a heads up. Uh, Gunn's sort of sequel sets up uh, the premise of the movie remarkably efficiently. Amanda Waller, played by Viola Davis, introduces us to a ragtag team of supervillains who will get a decade off their prison sentence if they complete a mission and, importantly, survive said mission. Uh, Michael Rooker, Nathan Fillion, Pete Davidson, uh, and the returning Jai Courtney, who plays Captain Boomerang from the first film, uh, among others, comprise the villains on this team. They're dropped onto the fictional island of Corto Maltese, uh, where they're promptly wiped out by the Corto Maltesian army. Again, pretty efficient. We got the whole premise in like 10 minutes. It's great. It's also a misdirection. Turns out this isn't the team we're going to be following for most of the movie. Uh, rather, that is Bloodsport, played by Idris Elba. Peacemaker, played by John Cena. Ratcatcher 2, played by Daniela Melchior, Polka Dot Man, played by David Dostmalchian, uh, and King Shark, King Shark, who is voiced by Sly Stallone in this film. Uh, they are joined by Margot Robbie's Holly, uh, Harley Quinn and Joel Kinnaman's Rick Flagg in an effort to retrieve some damning evidence of American crimes following a military coup on the island nation. Um, there's a very real way in which this movie is sui generis. James Gunn got his start with Trome Entertainment. That's the home of the Toxic Avenger and other adult-oriented juvenilia. Um, and this is a nine-figure trauma movie in the sense that it is filled with grotesque violence and lots of curse words. Um, yes, there have been R-rated comic book movies before and some of them with relatively big budgets. Look at, for instance, Zack Snyder's 300 and Zack Snyder's Watchmen. Um, but none with this kind of budget and this ridiculous of a sensibility. It is one of a kind. Uh, and yet, I don't think it's nearly as unique or edgy as it kind of hopes it is. Uh, yes, the characters use the F word, but they don't really say anything that could offend anyone. Um, yes, there's lots of violence, but it's pretty cartoony, and I can't imagine anyone actually being discomfited by it, like made to feel uncomfortable by the violence in this film. Um, yes, there's a smattering of nudity, but it's in the background and it's often obscured, and it frankly feels like it's there just so they can say, yeah, we put some put some dicks in this, haha. Um, yes, it's political, but in the blandly anti-American way that many action-adventure films can be when they're grasping for socio-political significance and don't have anything truly interesting to say about the world. Mostly, I just felt kind of bludgeoned by this film, honestly. Never bored exactly. Often it made me chuckle. But there's just a lot of sensory overload. Uh, and I think it feels like it's a little bit clever than it actually, a little bit more clever than it actually is. Then again, maybe I'm just a stick in the mud. It's entirely possible. Peter, what have I missed about this brilliantly grotesque opus? Well, I think you're just underrating how funny the dumb shark is. Because he's really True. dumb, and it's it's pretty amusing when he's not so smart, but he's a big shark, big dumb shark. Yeah, Very I funny. mean, I think I get what you're saying. Um, I think I like this a little bit better than you, uh, but I, I I get what you're saying about feeling like it was it's a little bit too much. Um, I also think though that too much is sort of the vibe and sort of the aesthetic here. Right. This is the the goal here is for this to be 
profane and vulgar and just completely over the top. It should feel kind of overwhelming. That's what James Gunn wanted to do here. That it, This is, like you said, this is a, you know, a hundred million dollar or close to a hundred million dollar trauma film, uh, effectively. And those movies are not designed to be subtle. They're designed to be the the opposite of subtle. To- the Toxic Avenger is just not like, is not there to sort of, oh, there's a little bit of nuance and some taste. And, no, man. Class of Newcomb High is not, is not a movie that's designed to be like, well, this is enough. We won't go, we won't take it to too much. No, it's, it's designed to, to take it to too much and then make you feel like, oh, this is too much. I can't, I just can't. And what, yeah, but, but can I, can I just interrupt slightly here? Because I, I, I feel like there's a difference between an under budget cheapo too much and a huge budget, budget, like sensory assault too much, you know, like it feels like it's like if you gave it's like if you took the the high school football team's captain and also made him, you know, uh, gave him a you know, this perfect score going? on the SATs. Right. Like it's like it's too much. Just like like the, these movies are already the overdogs. They're already the movies. They're the favorites. Everybody wants them to succeed. And the the only thing that these tiny little budgeted trauma movies have going for them is kind of the shock value, you know? Yeah. So I look. I think the movie is a little bit choppy at times. It feels like there was a bunch more of it and they have trimmed it down um, in a way that we've talked a a little bit about before with uh, just with comedies and how modern comedies thanks to contemporary digital editing, have an extreme joke density that didn't exist in 1980s comedies. And this movie feels like it has been trimmed so that there's never a kind of a, a, like, a a waiting period. There's never a sort of a calm moment because they want every little bit of this movie to just land with maximum impact. And as a result, it does feel a little exhausting at times. Um, Actually, I wanted to talk about the violence in specific here because in some ways I think it's sort of delightful, right? The way the movie just sort of translates shock horror uh, cartoon violence on, you know, into, into a big budget product. But I also actually thought that in some ways that was kind of uh, some of the weakest stuff in the film because t- far too much of the violence i thought was just there not not to actually be clever and right and the best of these the best of these types of movies won't just give you outrageous violence for its own sake they give you outrageous violence and then it's like look how look how bizarrely interestingly cleverly grotesque we can be and you saw bits of that for sure uh, in particular, the bit at the beginning where the guy who's like has the detachable limbs, right? And he yeah. just sends his he like his arms come off and they're like bloody freaking stumps like sticking out of his body, the whole thing. And then he sends his arms over to attack the other enemy, the, the enemies, and he just starts slapping them. And it's it's absolutely like the dumbest, funniest, grossest juxtaposition, right? Of like, oh my God, this thing is the most horrific thing I've ever seen. And then he's just getting into slap fight. But then that whole sequence resolves even- in in just a just a bunch of like people getting their bodies blown up and like a bunch of big bloody squibs. And it's it's just like at every moment they want to remind you, hey, we've got an R rating. We're gonna put a bunch of ultra violence here in a way that doesn't actually have a real gag associated with it. There's not a punchline. It's just, it's just, wow, I cannot believe I am seeing that in a superhero movie or, or really anything that isn't a Peter Jackson, you know, a splatter film from 1996. 
Yeah, I mean the the detachable kid is that what is, is that what Man, he's called? I don't okay, the, whatever. They all die yeah. in the first nine minutes. The the the, the, da- the detachable arm guy is is interesting in that there is a funny visual gag where they're shooting the arms and he's like yeah. writhing in pain on the beach. Like okay, that that's a funny bit. But like it also there it feels like there could have been more there. Like you you could have had the arms doing their ridiculous thing and they're distracted by boots that do something. I don't know. It just felt it just felt all it all felt half thought through. Half thought through. That's what this whole film feels like to me, that it's half thought through. I don't know, Alyssa, am I- do I, think he I? went about this pretty quickly after getting dropped from Guardians. Yeah. And this, the movie feels a little bit rushed in development. Alyssa, you you were nervous about going to see this movie because yeah. you're not a big violence person, uh, but you came out of it, you 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 were able to make it through the whole yep. thing without without leaving. Uh, how how uh, did you manage that? How did you how did you survive? Uh, and uh, but but like, I mean, what'd you make of it? I like this is really more Peter and Mai's milieu. And we're both kind of eh on it as best as I can tell. I think I, Peter liked I liked it more it than I did. But. It, yeah. Um, so part of it is just, I think, a testament to my movie going friendship with you guys. Right. I mean, Peter and I, especially, you know, Sonny, you moved away a couple of years ago. Peter and I have seen enough movies sitting next to each other that he basically knows when something's going to be unpleasant for me. And there's definitely a point in this movie uh, where, you know, Spear goes an eye where Peter just like held up his notebook in front of my face. And I was already like had my eyes closed and was turning away. But um, it's a movie that signals when stuff is going to get really gross soon enough that I was able to handle it. Um, And I mean, there are things like the sort of Harley Quinn sequence where she's breaking out and killing everybody with a javelin and the instead of gouts of blood, we're getting sort of flowers. So we get her sort of crazed perspective on what's going on. Like something like that is reasonably clever to me. Um, I spent a lot of this movie thinking about why I don't like the Harley Quinn character more. Um, And this is not a movie that like pays a lot of attention to its female characters. Um, But there is some sort of interesting stuff kind of happening at the margins of the movie. And Harley Quinn has been sort of the franchise character, for better or for worse, to come out of the original Suicide Squad. She has her standalone movie. You know, they kind of contort the plot here to, like, keep her in the mix and then bring her, you know, she's in the original team that's the diversion and then ends up sort of working her way back to the second team. Um, And I just find the character total non-starter. And I have yet to put my finger on why. And I think that, you know, the the original character, the sort of, you know, kind of brainwashed, like, participant in her own abuse who also gets something out of the violence that she perpetrates with the Joker is sort of a legitimately interesting character. And they've just, you know, kind of skipped over, you know, that that part of her story is done. And she's become much more of a sort of bland girl power archetype. There's a weird scene in this movie where, you know, in the interminable political plot, one of the, you know, guys who has carried out the coup says that, like, the people of Corto Maltese want him to marry her because she's, like, the ultimate symbol of resistance to American imperialism. And it's just, it's maybe the sort of stupidest, emptiest attempt at turning one of these movies political. Cause like, she's not a symbol of resistance to American imperialism. The movie has no meaningful sense of what resistance to American imperialism means. It's just a like, hey, here's a thing we can put out here that theoretically makes her sort of like baby voiced bad girl act supposedly significant. It's a very weird 
gesture and subplot. And like, wait, I mean, in this solo film, they did they did note that she voted for Bernie. So yeah, I mean, you know, very okay, political. Whatever. <laughs> um, and you know, you have sort of a minor through line with like Ratcatcher two, sort of constantly showing empathy to people who don't necessarily deserve it in ways that ultimately like sort of hold the team together. But to me, the most interesting character in the movie is Amanda Waller, right? And there's something very intriguing about. Having, I mean, Waller in the comics and here is just an interesting character, right? It's fascinating to effectively have a black woman playing Dick Cheney, right? And that's sort of what she is. She's like the insider. She's going to protect American security interests at all costs. She's willing to yeah. do some like immoral people. We don't know that she's shot a hunting companion in the face, but like it totally seems like she would be up for it. And I would be vastly more interested to watch a TV show that's like the, like, an office show where Amanda Waller is the terrifying boss um, than like pretty much anything DC has managed to put out recently. Um, that said, I do think John Cena is quite effective as Peacemaker in this. Um, I went through about a five-year period where I watched an enormous amount of professional wrestling and it was the period when uh, Dwayne Johnson, uh, Dave Bautista, and John Cena were all um, still sort of at the heights of their careers. And it's been a weirdly excellent preparation to be a contemporary American movie critic. Um, he's quite good in this, but the movie is just kind of a nothing burger. Also, the real victim and symbol of anti-American uh, imperialism here is Star of the Conqueror. And a really brave Suicide Squad movie would ultimately have him team up with the Suicide Squad to bring Amanda Waller down. Because that would be the truly revolutionary thing to say. is like America is so bad that a giant starfish should be allowed to destroy it all and wipe the slate clean. Can I just jump uh, in I, real quick on the Harley Quinn point? So I, I think that's, that's worth highlighting because I agree that the Harley Quinn character is sort of adrift. And I think a big part of that is that she was invented as a foil for the Joker. And it's not that she's, yeah. she doesn't exist out. It's not that she doesn't have any sort of drive that's independent of him, right? She's not sort of just a hanger on, but the, the whole thing that was interesting about her relationship, uh, about her character in Batman, the animated series, which is where she came from and where she became sort of a fan favorite, was that she was a foil for his she was she was a crazy foil for a different kind of crazy. And in some ways, she wasn't quite that she humanized the Joker because the Joker can never be human in a in a normal sense. But she added, she grounded him in some sense in a, a relationship with another person that was cartoonish and crazy, but it was a relationship. And that meant that that there was something to actually hold on to rather than just like, here is a crazy psycho who dresses like a clown and only wears purple suits. Well, and there's also something interesting and risky to say about a female character who kind of chooses self-abnegation, who chooses to be crazy and violent and sort of sublimate herself into a relationship with a man. Um, and that's actually a kind of character who is still sort of taboo to put on screen in certain ways um, and would be, again, just like a more genuinely edgy thing to put in a, a movie than the sight of like a giant shark man ripping someone in half. Um, I mean, the, the problem with Harley Quinn is that as as Peter and you have suggested, Alyssa. They, they've separated her from Joker, and the the thing, and they have done they have done this for like purely 
political identity politics reasons. I mean, like yeah. they, they've done this to make her her own person. She's got to be she's got to be her own person. She's got to be her own you know character. There can't be you know a, a hint that she is you know uh, enjoying this abusive relationship or whatever. She has to be like it's it's very it's it's very kind of frustrating to to watch play out in real time um in part because i think there was there was supposed to be in the air cut of suicide squad there's supposed to be more of that that whole thing and a, a bunch of it just got cut out uh my my I, I would like to uh i would like to push back against the idea that amanda waller is dick cheney because if amanda waller was dick cheney she would have killed everybody in that room who betrayed her <laughs> and knocked her out with a golf club she would have sent them to Cart corto maltese uh and had them incubate the next generation of little staros and and then you think, would have written a piece about how she's the real hero. She, she was totally right. Well, Peacemaker was right. Peacemaker was the right one. Yes, what 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 Amanda Waller did and what the American government did with the giant starfish that they took from space and uh, put in Cordo Maltese was obviously terrible. But letting the world know about it, not going to make anything better. Not going to not going to stabilize the world. Uh, so uh, the Peacemaker was right. Um, uh Interesting box office notes on this. Uh, this movie underperformed like everything else has underperformed that has debuted simultaneously on streaming in the and in theaters. Uh, but there are lots of other factors at play here. There's Delta. There's the, the COVID COVID Delta. There's, uh, uh, you know, people didn't like the first Suicide Squad. It underperformed. Birds of Prey underperformed. Um, you know, what what do we think is the is the real culprit here? Is it is it? Uh, bad pre preceding films. Is it COVID? Is it distribution strategy? What do we What do we think? Peter. I think all of those things. I, I mean, I I know uh, just from like walking around DC, you can see that uh, foot traffic at places that people go out to is down from even where it was a month or six weeks ago, um, and I think that that is at least partly due to. Delta of concerns that people have, um, however reasonable or unreasonable they might be. And, but I also, I, I really think the day and date release is people are watching this at home and they, and you combine those two things. You combine the fact that people are at least a little bit wary about, about Delta and the fact that it is available to watch at home. And that makes it a very easy calculation for a lot of people. Why pay 30 bucks for two people to see this uh, in the theater when for $15 a month or whatever the number is, you can have everybody in the house who wants to watch it, who is uh, who is interested in watching the shark man rip somebody in half for, you know, and and like it's just the the value proposition, especially in a sort of late pandemic world really, really is going to push people towards watching it at home. Yeah, I mean the 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 issue here, Alyssa, isn't isn't so much that it's available on uh, on TV in addition to being in theaters, right? It's that it's available on TV and people don't really want to go out and sit in a room with strangers. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I have been to something like six movies in the last three weeks, and I've definitely felt a little bit more apprehensive as time has gone on, especially in the more crowded uh, screenings. And this is a movie that if it was not sort of a social opportunity for me to hang out with Peter, like I might have just streamed at home. Um, did you guys go to a press screening or did you see it uh, at, at we saw uh, it a regular at a press screening, screening in the D.C. area okay. um, yeah. on the big screen? Yeah. Was it a was it press only or was it press and and normal folks, normies, as I like to call them? Um, I think it was press only, right? The theater was not 
packed, but I don't know what the situation was outside of the press rows. I, it was actually a pretty big theater, and I don't recall who was or wasn't sitting behind us. Okay. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm curious because I, I am, I'm always keeping track of uh, how these things are playing out. In, in Dallas, our local draft house is finally reopening this weekend, like finally, right as things get Hey, congratulations, Sonny. Uh, no, I mean, they should have opened two months ago, but wh- whatever. I'm not in charge of the, the Alamo draft house. Uh, the, the, uh, but it is, it is, it is a weird time and all of these, you know, release strategies are not, uh, not really helping anything. Um, but I don't know. It's not, it's not, it's not great. It's not great out there. So I don't know. So, all right. So what do we think about suicide, uh, the suicide squad, sorry, the suicide squad, uh, not to be confused with suicide squad the original. Uh, Peter? I give it a thumbs up. I'm a little bit qualified and definitely not for everyone. The The ultraviolence is cartoony, but there will there's like a, a, a group of people out there who will be bothered by this. If you are bothered by like uh, cartoonish but extreme ultraviolence, stay away from this one. On the other hand, if you are the sort of person who lovingly, lovingly paged through your copy of Video Hound's Guide to Cult Flicks and Trash Picks as a kid um, and was pretty obsessed with that, uh, with that whole world of, of trash horror filmmaking, uh, then this is going to be something that you will really enjoy. Uh, Alyssa? I, I mean, adjusting for my own, like, you know, complete squeamishness, I'd give it a mild thumbs up. Um, I mostly, because I'm sort of curious to see what's going to happen to John Cena, a potential movie star, um, and I feel like this is one that will be worth having seen in five years uh, once that conversation solidifies. All right, I'm, I, thumbs down, but I want to come back to John Cena, potential movie star, uh, because John Cena has been a potential movie star for 15 years now. Like the, 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 uh, what was the, what's the, uh, I, I gotta look it up real quick, but he, his first like lead role in a WWE movie, uh, was, it came out in 2006. Um, uh, sorry, I'm just, I'm doing some emergency IMDBing here. Uh, he 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 has been on the scene for a long, long time. And how long are we supposed to give him to become, you know, a legitimate movie star here? Um, that's a fair question. The one thing I would say is this season, this summer feels a little more like um, sort of a takeoff point. You know, he's in um, he's in F. He's the villain in F nine. You know, he's in a setup for his own TV show in this. Um, I don't know. I could be wrong. I find him, um, I think he has an advantage over um, Dwayne Johnson in the long term in that he is both funny and willing to sort of poke fun at himself in a way that I think is um, is often quite effective. Like he's good in Trainwreck, um, which is, I think, the movie where a lot of people start to realize like, oh, you know, maybe he can transition. And um, Johnson in some of his early movies kind of played against his physical type and personality. You see that in Pain and Gain. You see it in um, Be Cool, which is otherwise completely terrible. You see it in Southland Tales. But that's sort of a chapter on his persona that he's like very definitively shut. And if Cena is willing and able to do comedy, he could just end up with a bigger range. I don't know that he is ever going to be as sort of broadly palatable as Johnson is to a mass audience. Um, But I think he has a lot of upside potential as someone who's like kind of fun to watch on screen, who makes the movies that he's in 
better in ways that aren't always going to generate headlines, but that are just sort of a solid contribution that make directors want him around. I mean, he, he submits John Cena, himself John to the to the director's vision, whatever it is, whether that's just taking the the total melodramatic soap opera of F9 completely seriously, or whether it's showing up in his whitey tidies and being completely ridiculous uh, in the Suicide Squad. I I just I think that's racist, Peter. I'm sorry. Um, uh, we'll we'll have to have a controversies and controversies on just that remark. I think um, that the careers of Dave Dwayne Johnson and Dave Bastisa uh, and their relative successes, Johnson's in particular, have actually just created more audience interest in and studio demand for these type of big man roles. And and that, if anything else, uh, if nothing else, is likely to set him up for even bigger success going forward. Well, so Cena starred in The Marine in 2006. That was his, that was the movie I was thinking of, which again, like there's, there's a, there's a career arc where you, you, you do the kind of basic, uh, you do the basic like intro action movies and then you become like kind of a funny guy and then you're more serious. You know, you see this, you see this time and again with, with these, with these actors and like, he seems, I, I just like, I, I don't. There's there's nothing about John Cena that in this movie or in F9 in particular, and in F9 he's kind of terrible. Uh, there's there's nothing about John Cena that jumps out at me as like he is he's got it. Not like Dave Bautista. Dave Bautista, who has done like funny things and starring and supporting roles, like he is the, I think the best part of Blade Runner 2049, which is a very good movie uh, and I like a lot. But he, like he has that great intro scene with Ryan Gosling where he's just like kind of quiet and melancholy. And there's. Cena has done nothing that convinces me he has that sort of depth to him. And I just, I like, I, I don't, I don't mean to get bogged down in talk about John Cena here so we can, we can move on. But I, I do feel like we've been waiting for John Cena to happen for a long time now. And I don't think, I'm not 100% sold that this is the thing that does he it. He has two this, blockbusters this out this summer. He was he also- He doesn't have two blockbusters out this summer. He has one blockbuster out. F9 is 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 legitimate blockbuster, but su- the Suicide Squad is bombing. It's it's not going to play in China. It's going to gross, I bet it grosses under $200 million worldwide. I mean, it's like, it's not a it's not a blockbuster. It's it's a big movie, but there's a difference between a big movie and a blockbuster. He has two mega budget movies out this summer. He had a big role in Bumblebee. He's got an HBO series lined up. I think the John Cena moment is not going to happen. It is happening already. I'd also note that he's still doing a lot of WWE stuff in a way that Batista and um, Johnson are not so much. So he's very much sort of keeping a foot in there. That's where he's better there. A very, very large should stay there. Should stay there. All right. Uh, (laughs) That is it for today's show. Uh, If you loved it, make sure to check out Uh, Our members-only episode on spoilers. Lots of spoiler talk over there. Uh, Make sure to tell your friends. Strong recommendation from a friend is basically the only way to grow podcast audiences. If we don't grow, we'll die. Uh, If you did not love today's show, please complain to me on Twitter, at Sunny Bunch. Uh, I'll convince you that it is, in fact, the best show in your podcast feeds. See you guys next week. 